Des Feuilles Mortes, Dead Leaves, 1956, Remedios Varro, Oil on Cardboard. There is much to discover in this piece, with new layers of detail emerging the longer one considers it. At first glance, the scene is fairly simple, though imbued with Varro's signature flair for the surreal. She depicts a sitting room in a muted palette of creams and grays. The room is in a fairly advanced state of decay, with dark patches that could be either water damage or mold marring the ceiling, the walls, even the furniture. The rug, upon closer examination, is not really a rug at all, but a growth of grass and clovers that has sprung up through the floor. Within this room sits a woman, whose fiery orange hair and olive green dress draw immediate focus. She sits upon a low wooden stool and holds a partially unraveled ball of blue twine in her hands. The unraveled end of this string stretches deep into the second figure in the painting, a human-shaped shadow whose chest extends inward into a dark, endless hallway. Two small birds, one red and one white, escape from that hallway within the shadow figure's chest and into the sitting room. And behind all of this action, so subtle as to be easily missed, is the namesake of this work, a cluster of pale gold leaves drifting in on a breeze through the open window in the back corner. The naming of this piece after those fallen leaves is, perhaps, a clue into Varro's intent behind this painting. It suggests a time of transition, a moving from light into darkness, from a season of vibrancy to a season of death, albeit a temporary one, into a time ripe for introspection. Considering this, the relationship between the woman and the shadow figure is most curious, as is the purpose of the blue twine and the origins of the two birds flying from the depths of the shadow's interior. Does the shadow belong to the woman? Is it something from within herself that she has forced out into the open to examine and demand answers from? This interpretation may have inspired Letitia Hanford, a self-professed admirer of Aro's, in her piece Got Your Shadow, which you may recall grapples with this very concept. If this interpretation is true, does the blue twine serve as her guide in this exploration? Carefully set to lead her back to reality, lest she become lost in the murk and gloom. If yes, it is unclear whether she is beginning or ending her task, if she is collecting the twine or further unraveling it for her mysterious purpose. Or perhaps it is the shadow and not the woman who is native to this place. The shades of grey in which it is painted match the style and colour palette of the room, whereas the woman is a violent burst of colour against a grey and decaying world. Perhaps it is this woman who has emerged from the darkness, and not the other way around. The two birds are shown escaping from the shadow's inner self. Why not the woman, too? Perhaps it is the shadow who engages in introspection during this transitory season of death before rebirth. Perhaps this is its imagining of all possibilities that wait within it, seeking their chance to emerge from the darkness, ready to follow a trail of blue twine, so carefully placed by the one who made the journey first. If you're experiencing lingering fascination with questions posed by Remedios Varro's Dead Leaves, consider taking home a keepsake inspired by that very painting. 
The Godfrey Gift Shop offers balls of blue twine just like the one the woman holds in the painting. These are constantly unraveling and re-raveling themselves, most often when the person holding it is lost in thought, diving down contemplative rabbit holes to unknown ends. No one has ever successfully unraveled the entirety of the ball of twine. At least, none of the Godfrey staff has been able to do so during their half-hour lunch breaks. We cannot speak to actual purchasers of this item, who presumably have more time to devote to ponderous tangents. But if anyone listening has gotten their ball of twine to fully unravel, please inform our staff about what happened when you did, mostly so they can add any necessary safety warnings to the product. We do want to remind you that the gift shop is still operating under a barter system. The registers have not yet returned to accepting standard forms of currency. So if you are interested in taking this keepsake home, consider what you currently have available to trade for it. The gift shop staff reports that shoelaces are usually an accepted form of payment for this item, but are by no means the only option. Be careful. 1951. Annabelle Godfrey and unknown artist. Rose, glass, unknown liquid. The orange rose featured in this piece came from a bouquet that Annabelle Godfrey purchased for her partner Roxana Castillo during a trip they took to Bulgaria in 1951. Annabelle had long been enamored with roses from that region and wanted to keep one to preserve upon returning home. Castillo had a similar idea and pressed one of the flowers from that same bouquet. You may recall seeing a photograph of that same flower's petals in Castillo's Nature's Panoply installation earlier in your tour. Annabelle took great care with the flower's transportation back home, as you can see from the pristine condition of the unfurling blossom. She trimmed the stem to just over one inch in length to fit within the glass sphere that she selected to house it. But though Annabelle selected the glass encasement, inspired by some of the paraphernalia she'd encountered at a number of seances, she was not the one to fill it with the preservative substance, nor to seal the rose within the glass. That happened in the middle of the night, after Annabelle had taken a break from the project and retired for the evening. When she returned to her workstation the following morning, it was filled and sealed as it is before you now. No one has ever been able to determine exactly what the preservative substance is. Indeed, many a botanist has tried to discern its nature, as clear as water but without any of the usual distortion, but the glass has never broken, never even cracked or splintered, not even when an overeager and somewhat desperate botanist smashed it to the floor before anyone could stop them. But instead of the glass sphere breaking, it cracked the tile floor instead and rolled away unscathed. Whatever it is, the substance is a miraculously perfect preservative. The rose looks exactly as it did the day that Annabelle placed it there. With one exception. Over the years, petals have occasionally fallen, sinking slowly through the material that otherwise maintains the rose. There is no organic pattern to the timing of such occurrences, no sign of aging from the rose itself that might suggest a natural phenomenon. The only through line, the only commonality, has been the presence of a person in front of the object. Years' worth of security camera footage corroborates this, Eventually, our staff began asking anyone to whom this happened if they said or did anything as they observed the piece. Wishes, they said. They had all made a wish. Some on purpose, some realizing belatedly that a wish had sprung from an idle thought. And then a petal fell, 
drifting slowly to the bottom of the glass and then, somehow, vanishing from view, as if it had never been. All those to whom the rose has given up a petal later return to the estate, saying that their wish had come true, exactly as they had wished it. Many regretted it. They hadn't been careful with them, you see. They hadn't thought them through. For wishes are powerful things. They call forth something, even just the idea of something, from nothing. Care must be taken to phrase them exactly as intended, lest you summon something that you only thought you wanted, lest you get something almost but not quite what you expected. Oh. Oh my. I'm receiving an alert that a petal has just fallen from the rose. For you, intrepid patron. Has it disappeared yet? Just like your wish vanishing into the ether? Or is it still falling, conjuring what will be? Did you consider the words you chose before you thought or spoke them? Did you really think them through? If not, don't say we didn't warn you. It's right there in the name, after all. Thank you for listening to the Godfrey Audio Guide. This episode was written, produced, and performed by Nicole Knudsen, with sound design and editing by James Ferrero. It was produced on unceded Tongva, Chumash, and Keech territory. Enjoying your trip to the estate? Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. And consider telling a friend about us. Or two. Or three. Or everyone you know. To keep up with The Godfrey, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Godfrey Guide. Or visit our website, thegodfreyaudioguide.com. For Godfrey merchandise, visit our online store, thegodfreyaudioguide.threadless.com. And finally, if you're interested in becoming a sustaining member of the show, make sure to visit our Patreon page, patreon.com slash thegodfreyaudioguide. In addition to our various membership tiers, you'll also find full episode transcripts available as public posts for any who wish to read them. Until next time, friends, see you back at the museum. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.